Hello and welcome to another edition of the Legal Geeks. With me, as always, is my partner in geekdom, Josh Gilliland. Hey, Josh. Good evening, Jessica. <laughs> we are here tonight to discuss something very special, very close to Josh's heart, and that is... Doctor Who. That's right. And I can't believe we haven't done a video post on Doctor Who before, because as you can see, you are equipped to talk about him. What was that? This was the sonic screwdriver flashlight that I have. So, for the 11th Doctor, I, I have the River Song Future One that makes noise as well with the red and the blue setting. So, I, uh, and, and a variety of action figures as well next to John Quincy Adams. So, it's... Uh, so, it's interesting. I'm a little obsessed. Well, you know, my brother gave me, you know, like the Cyberman and the wolf, uh, Werewolf and Dalek Thay for, for Christmas a few years ago. And those are still in the original packages. Whoa. But I, I knew, yeah, well, of course. Of course, yes, I, mean, I know. It's not a barbarian. <laughs> so. so, okay, so Doctor Who... Big deal. There have been a lot of doctors over the years, right? And I think even right now, there's kind of a significant time, isn't it, for Doctor Who? Yes, it's the 50th anniversary this year. Doctor Who premiered on November 23rd, 1963. Wow. Which probably probably wasn't the best timing because of November 22nd, 1963. Oh. Yeah, and the time change. Uh, by the way, should we tell all the young people who don't know what the heck happened on November 22nd, 1963 about a certain significant assassination? Well, once upon a time, there was a man named John F. Kennedy, and he was president of the United States, and on a trip to Dallas, he was killed. <laughs> I've been there, by the way. I've been to the Sixth Floor Museum, because there's nothing else significant, historically significant to see in Dallas, so I did have to go see that when I lived there. That's, uh, yeah, uh, that is very sad. When they relaunched Doctor Who in 2005... I don't know if they purposely paid an homage to that, but they actually had like one of the doctor fans trying to prove that this, you know, that the doctor existed, uh, had a picture at the Kennedy assassination with the doctor in the picture. So I don't know if that was intentional huh. or if they, you know, if that was their way of trying to show some respect or it was just purely a coincidence that that's what the, you know, the British decided to, to go with as opposed to say McKinley's assassination. Right. Garfields, because that might have been a little too esoteric for folks. Yes. All right, well, that is interesting. Well, all right, so getting to the current issue that we're dealing with tonight. So what is the first question? Doctor? Doctor who? Oh, it's the question in plain sight. <laughs> I feel like, is that the Abbott and Costello routine? Are they the ones who did the baseball thing? Who's on first? They, they played heavily with that. Yeah, that was Abbott and Costello, and they did play, the writers played very heavily with the first question in the last season of Doctor Who, dealing with um, the end of time, and the wedding of River Song, and a bunch of other things, in dealing with why all of the Doctor's enemies decided to gang up and try imprisoning him in the Pandorica, so that way he wouldn't inadvertently destroy time, which by doing so they actually caused said destruction. But let's not get into let's not get into paradoxes and all the things that, that happened with that. So So what is the issue? So with this first question and this Doctor Who, what is the issue, the legal issue that we're looking at? 
Well, the doctor does need a lawyer. And to be f fair to all the way that the Time Lords have introduced themselves, being the doctor, the master, now we'll go with the lawyer here, because the doctor does need the lawyer for some help. Because Time Lords can regenerate up to 12 times. And since they're now on the 11th doctor, they'll probably find an escape hatch to get around that very, very quickly <laughs> if they haven't already. But they have two hearts, and they can die. They can get killed, but, you know, like such as if the regeneration process gets interrupted, they exceed the number, they can die and be dead, but if everything goes well, they regenerate and turn into a completely different person, but who's still the same person. Personality shift, you might have somebody who goes from man of action to introverted, you know, not, not the runner combative type to somebody who could be very outspoken. So they, there's some sig significant personality shifts, but core values remain the same. Okay, interesting. Let's take that to how you write a will. Because when you write a will, the controlling issue is the testator's intent. Mm -hmm. What did they intend to happen when they die? So if you have the first regeneration write a will, and then they die and regenerate, and the second guy lives for 200 years and dies and regenerates, and you hang now on the third version, what effect does that have on the first will? Does the testator's intent still match? And that would involve some very significant legal analysis to figure out if that will would still be valid. On one way that I would look at this is that a Time Lord, such as the doctor, should treat a regeneration as a significant life change. Because you could be going from not just blonde to brunette, but 5'7 to 5'2, or then 5'2 to 6'3, and you know, you, you change big time. Right. Personality values potentially change, which they did touch on in the mid-80s with the trial of the Time Lord. So when you, when you have that, maybe you should treat it like a marriage mm -hmm. or a divorce or a birth of a child, that when you have a significant change like that, maybe you should update your will. For example, say somebody gets married, they have a couple kids, and the will that they had was before marriage. They get divorced and then married again. They really need to update that will. True. Things have changed. But don't, don't Things have changed. it's been a while since I've taken wills um, and estates. But if I recall, the law does presume, or maybe this was just in Texas, that certain things, like if you make a will, let's say, before you have a child, and so the will doesn't provide for any children, but then you have a will, or you, you have the will, then you have the child, then you die, they presume, well, you know, that person would have actually written the child into their will, so we're actually going to presume what their intent would have been. Same thing as if you have a will that, you know, provides for your spouse, you then divorce your spouse, but then you die before you can change your will. The law also presumes, I think generally, I know this is in Texas, well, you were divorced. You were not intending to take care of your ex-spouse anymore, so we're actually going to write that spouse out of the will. So do you think that would be relevant to this issue at all, or? It would. It would, and at the same time, it wouldn't, you know, because it's still the same person. Yeah. It gets weird because most states do have that, that they're not going to go, you have to willfully, purposefully exclude a family right. member from a will. 
Okay, and if they go, hmm, you got divorced and then remarried, we don't think you're going to have everything still go to the first spouse. Right. That you would have wanted that changed. You're not going to cut out the second spouse because you were lazy and not and update things. So that they'll they'll find problems with that first will. A time lord could get tricky because <laughs> of those issues. Because it's like. It's like, well, you're the same person, but you're not. Mm-hmm. Do Is the intent still the same? So if we take the doctor, when we first see him in 1963, he has a granddaughter, Susan. That means there had been a wife mm-hmm. and child and then grandchild to come along. So the first doctor probably would think, I'm traveling through time and space with my granddaughter. The first will would reflect something to provide for his granddaughter to make sure she's not trapped on some alien planet or something. And, oh, granted, eventually Susan leaves. And that's, a, that's another thing. So, you know, that would require potentially a change in the will then. What happened to the former spouse? Did she exceed her regenerations? Did he leave her? You know, like, those, those are completely unanswered questions I'm that we just kind of like... She's too, you know. <laughs> You know, when you're 1100, maybe maybe people really change after they regenerate. <laughs> but then you, but then you fast forward to the Time War, and we find out that all the Time Lords were killed by the Doctor when he used the moment, you know, the, to end the Time War to stop the Daleks and to kill everyone from Gallifrey all in one fatal blast. And we don't quite know what happened, but we know it causes him to regenerate into the Ninth Doctor, which is how we see him when the series is relaunched in 2005. So that means that if somehow Susan was involved in the Time War, she's dead. Yeah. Unless she's hiding, unless she's hiding as a human someplace, which a Time Lord could do. But that means we probably need to modify the will because everyone who could have been his family and friends from Gallifrey are now gone because they're dead. The other side of this is the time travel factor, that you create a will from your first regeneration in 1963, and then you update it at 65 million BC in your fifth incarnation. The lawyers can't look at that linearly. Right. They have because it's like, whoa, whoa. I mean, like, how do we have a codicil 65 million years before the first one? Whoa. That's... That's a little weird. So you have to, you know, take in, you're not looking at it in temporal order. Mm-hmm. You're looking at it in order that the Time Lord wrote the will. Mm-hmm. Time as they experienced it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So you, you have that floating around in there as well. So again, there are some very unique issues when you throw in time travel and regeneration on the effect that would have in drafting a will or writing a trust or anything of that nature because of the value changes that potentially could happen, even though you still have the same core principles. Mm -hmm. You know, it's funny, the regeneration issue actually brings to mind one of my favorite movies, well, well, one of them sort of, um, by one of my favorite actors, Steve Martin, all of me, because that was the whole idea with Lily Tomlin, right, is that she was actually going to bequeath all her money to, I always forget her name, is it Victoria Tennant, I think, Steve Martin's ex-wife who was in L.A. Story, all of me, oh, I loved her and all those, anyway, but she was going to bequeath her money to this young ingenue because, in theory, Lily Tomlin thought she was going to die and her soul would actually take over the young ingenue's body, um, and so the intent there is actually to basically find a loophole around this whole death thing and give the money to herself so uh, 
I thought that was interesting. Yeah, I mean, I would think an estate lawyer could have a field day actually challenging that will, obviously. But uh, it did make for a great movie and a great song by Willie Nelson, which, if I'm not careful, I will start humming here, so I better stop. Focus. Focus. <laughs> Oh, look at the light. <laughs> yeah, look at the light. Oh, don't go there. So. Me. <laughs> I couldn't resist. I love that song. <laughs> this, this really you know, we were able to talk about Dr. Horrible sing along blog without breaking into song, but this one. Willie Nelson, Dr. I can't Nelson. resist. He's God. It's the first time we've actually had a musical po uh, podcast. <laughs> oh, dear. That was embarrassing. Who knew? <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, so let's see. So clearly we've established, back to the Time Lords, that it would be very difficult to um, write the sort of will that would actually be followed, that anybody can even follow the ideas that they were trying to do or follow the, the sequence of events, obviously, much less actually implement the intent of the testator. Um, I don't know, do the Time Lords have some other way they can address these sort of things? You perhaps record it in the TARDIS itself. And so that way, that would be the temporal log that would follow in the chronological order in which it was made. And you could figure out other ways with Time Lord technology to have something either exist outside of time or somehow follow the Time Lord's order and temporal scheme of things so that way everything would make sense. If not, it gets very confusing very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> and then you throw in, just with this season, or well, the last three seasons, when you think about the 11th Doctor and one of the Christmas specials, well, let's, let's go back to the 10th. <laughs> the 10th Doctor, the 10th, the 10th Doctor meets his future wife on the day that she dies, <sighs> meaning that the entire time that he knows her, he knows the date that <sighs> she will die, and you... And he finds a way to preserve her so her memories are put into a giant library's computer with all of her friends. So they're living virtually in this big computer. So he had time to make sure that she was saved. But that means the entire time that he knows her, that he knows he will marry her the day that she will die. Wow. He also is there present the day that she's born. Wow. Okay, which gets complicated and a little weird. You then throw in the fact that the doctor, um, in one of the Christmas specials, goes back in time with this guy who's trying to basically do the Ghost of Christmas Past experience, too. Takes him back to Earth in the late 50s, early 60s, inadvertently marries Marilyn Monroe on Christmas Eve. Whoa. There's no discussion of divorce, annulment, or anything like that. So what effect does the marriage to Marilyn Monroe have on everything? Because we know when Marilyn Monroe is going to die. Mm -hmm. We know that Marilyn Monroe will <clears throat> have a very specific life as a public figure. So that means that that marriage had to be abandoned somehow or something for the, you know, history to unfold the way it does. So, little issue there. He then marries River Song, which may or may not be a valid marriage because it takes place in Egypt on top of a pyramid and an alternate timeline when all of time is collapsing around them because of a paradox, and each is holding the other end of a bow tie. Oh my. And he's in a giant... 
and he's in a robot of himself, miniaturized to do it. So you have all these, it's like, is that even a valid marriage? What effect do the marriages have on these bills? Yeah. Going back, going back to the 10th doctor, a genetic sample was taken of him to create a daughter of him, oh. which he thinks dies, but she actually survives, and it's actually the real-life daughter of the fifth doctor that the tenth doctor in real life then goes like dates and I think married. So wow. you have all this weird stuff that you would think about as well. It's like, okay, so if you have rogue kids running around, what effect would that have on a will? Because if they had known that the child lived, mm -hmm. that would have caused them to have had a different will. Yes. All I know is I'm now completely exhausted and my mind is blown. Um, I'm clearly not smart enough for Doctor Who, much less Doctor Who and how they deal with, you know, establishing a valid will. So I think I need to go sit in the dark or maybe watch a sitcom for a little while, cleanse the mind. <laughs> yeah. But I don't think the writers have addressed these issues either because if they need a legal consultant, I am happy to tag in. Sure, you know, you could say that like, hey, it's filmed in England. What's a California lawyer have to do with this? He married Marilyn Monroe. Where do you think that marriage took place? There you go. Look at We've got a pitch. Southern, right there. Southern California. Come on west. We'll, we'll deal with this. All right. And on that note, so Doctor Who producers, if you're listening, Josh is ready for you. <laughs> <laughs> Stephen Moffat. Waiting. Got the ties. We're good to go. So He's got the toys, ties, all of it. He's all set. Yeah, and I predate Matt Smith and wearing bow ties. So <laughs> let's just set the record straight. All right. Well, thank you for all that, Josh. You have totally, yeah, blown my mind. So I'm going to say good night now. Good night, Jessica.